Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Jerry Jones here with Jerry Jones Direct. And today, uh, our special guest is uh, none other than John Neese. And uh, Dr. John is with the Team Training Institute. Um, I'm going to have him share <laughs> where, what his background is, because it's, it, it's important that you listen carefully to what his background is and what he's doing today um, before we get into some questions. And um, we're going to talk about Dr. John's new book, 11 Habits of Highly Successful Dentists uh, that just came out. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book that's been in the works for over three years, and it is on Amazon. Um, uh, but I don't want to steal any, uh, anything that's inside the book, um, and I think that's going to be for you to uh, decide to go out and, and purchase yourself. But uh, without any um, further odd delays, uh, Dr. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Jerry, it's great to be with you again. Uh, wonderful catching up, and I'm so excited to be here and to visit with your listeners. You asked me to tell a little bit about my past and, and you know, kind of my, uh, my travels through the dental world. Uh, I graduated from dental school in 1986 and started, in a, started practicing in a two-operatory office in Ottawa, Iowa, and this was uh, during the depth of the farm depression. So this was the time when the commodity prices had collapsed. Uh, the local banks uh, were failing because farmers were unable to repay their loans because commodity prices had collapsed. This was the big transformation from family farms to corporate farms. And so here I am in this town, which is 100% agriculture dependent and the agricultural economy is tanking the farmers are all going bankrupt, businesses are going bankrupt and struggling, and here I'm starting a practice there. It was a very, very rough start. Um, I always uh, tell people I, my, my goal at the time was one crown a week um, because <laughs> when they needed a crown, they told me just pull it. And uh, it was very, very mm -hmm. sad. It was, I, I felt terrible for the people that I was trying to serve. Um, and uh, my fee for a crown was $486, but I would take $286 if I could get <laughs> Did a lot of non-precious metal crowns, uh, not a lot, I did a handful of non-precious metal crowns at a, at a very, very low price just to get people to, uh, you know, retain their teeth. So it was a very, very humble start and um, Grew that practice, uh, eventually sold that one, bought another one, bought my dad's practice out. I'm a fourth generation dentist. I bought my dad out uh, when he was ready to retire, bought my uncle out when he was ready to retire, merged these practices together and just kept growing it. So it started uh, as a, I, in a I started in the two op office, went to a nine op office, to a 12 op office, eventually had a 21 operatory uh, monster that was doing just shy of $6 million on a gross production basis. And at the time, we were only taking a couple of insurance companies. So um, so production and collection were pretty much matched. And um, you have, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, there's already so much I want to ask you just in this first couple <laughs> of minutes here, but, but keep going. 
Because I All know right. that's just the beginning of the story. So, it, so it, it, it is just the beginning. And so uh, the um, at that time, I also had a consulting company, uh, which was a precursor to the, the Team Training Institute. And that, that company, I was doing consulting for uh, a, a lot of different groups. Uh, through that, met uh, Wayne Mortensen and, and uh, Mortensen Dental Partners. And uh, through a bunch of activities, we decided to create a partnership. And we did create that and built the one office into uh, 14. And that was doing roughly about 17 million in revenue. And so it was a very in, in interesting time growing that. At that time, I joined the executive team of Mortensen Dental Partners, and first as chief development officer, and then as president of the dental teams unit, and um, grew that company from there was uh, about 50 locations when I when I joined the executive team, and when I left the company, there was 120 locations doing almost 200 million in revenue. So got to see a, a really broad. Uh, range of of the dental industry you got to build a very successful individual location uh, learned how to do groups learned how to do big groups uh, and uh, and and am now kind of um, you know kind of starting over learning from all the things that I learned from all those various sources uh, have, have started a new company that's providing a variety of services for people I want to get to your new company a little bit later in the show, um, but I, I want to talk about, I mean, this perspective that you brought up, I mean, going from, you know, hey, I'll, I'll take 286 for the crown, just, you know, so we can get you, get you to save your tooth and, and, you know, take care of you and financially allow you to do this, all the way up to an organization and being an integral part of an organization that's doing 200 million. That is, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that's like, in the, in the city of Salem, which we have 120,000, 150,000 people here in the, in the area um, where I live, uh, there aren't 200 dentists in the area. There, there, I mean, there's maybe, certainly 100, maybe 150 in the area, you know, if we include the outlying areas. That's like all the, all the production that all those doctors are doing. I mean, it's a huge amount. It's a huge amount of people involved, huge number of patients. It's just big. It's a big, big organization. If you had to sum up one giant lesson that you learned going from $286 to $200 million, what is the one big thing that you wake up every day and go, thank God I've been through this because of this lesson? What is that lesson? Yeah, the lesson is really pretty simple, and it applies to everybody, and that is... Uh, if, if you want to have a thriving practice, figure out what your patients want and give it to them. Uh, it, it really is that simple. You know, uh, I can stand in a room of, of 400 dentists at the front of the stage and say, patients want to make appointments when they don't have to miss, I leave the blank, and I wait, to, and in unison, they'll all say, work, work. <laughs> right? They, they, want to they want to make appointments when they don't have to miss work. Yet, we don't provide a lot of appointments in that time. <laughs> and so that's, a, that's an example, and, I, and I've got a long list of them, an example of mismatches between what we know our patients want and what we're willing to provide. And so if you can focus on what patients want, the better you get at that, the more successful your practice is gonna be, whether you have two operatories uh, or whether you have 120 locations. It's really that simple. Yeah, I think that's a, I mean, it's a brilliant statement. Um, and, and, you know, the, the challenge 
you nailed the challenge on the head. It's an incongruency between what doctors want to deliver and what patients want. But the more those things align, if, if people could see you and I talk, I'm using my hands, and the, the, more, the more people, uh, the more the doctor-patient um, interaction is aligned. I mean, right now it's kind of mismatched. You've got one finger in one, one area and not all five fingers in the same spot. And again, if you could see the illustration I'm showing John here, uh, <laughs> you would understand what I'm saying. But it's when we get in alignment with that, with what our audience wants, what's, what our customer, our patient wants and what we're willing to provide, the more you get that in alignment, right? I mean, is that, that's nope, as simple as it is. Exactly right. So, you know, the so, practices that are, are really, um, that, that are really killing it right now are the practices that have, um, you know, patient-friendly hours um, so that they're open the times when patients want. They're very uh, resourceful about about having their schedule such that they can provide the most care in the least amount of time and least amount of space. Uh, and those are the practices that are, are really killing it right now. Um, and you, you can't provide enough of what patients want. You know, you just, you can't because they, because if you do it, they want more. And pretty soon your facility's full, you're maxed out. Now you gotta do it again. Um, or ride that sweet spot. But that, when I understand pay practices that are they're struggling, um, struggling with patient uh, attraction and patient retention, I can go back to this very thing and say, you know, this is the challenge that you have is you're not giving people enough of what they want. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's a very, it's a great point. Um, you, you also have a unique perspective that you brought about. I, I don't know at the time, maybe you, you probably, maybe you did see this coming, but maybe you didn't. Um, and I, I'd be curious to know the comparison. So you mentioned a transition in a, in a very, um, I mean, it's like, you know, it, to me, it was the original business of America, which was farming. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, that's a pretty broad statement for me to make, but I think about, I mean, a farm, you know, when, when, when folks were settling this, this great country, I mean, farming was like, that was it. I mean, the farm, you trapped, you hunted, you fished. I mean, that's kind of, you know, and then this, you know, then the, uh, the great industrial age started and the steel barons and, and, and so on. But seeing the change from family farms to corporate farms, seeing the change in what happened to the individual farmer, um, in this case, I'd liken it to the solo practitioner. You see where I'm going with this probably. Yeah, I do. Um, there, what, there are so, are there parallels? What, what's, I mean, based on what happened to the family farmer and the corporate farms taking over and running the majority, because I mean, we've, here in Oregon, it's a big agricultural state, not nearly as big as Iowa, but it's huge. I mean, it's a big part of where, where this, you know, uh, money comes from. Um, I can imagine that that change was impactful in so many ways, some good, probably some bad, um, a lot bad, maybe a lot good. Um, what, what are the parallels you see in dentistry and what do you see this was one of my original questions. I didn't realize that the farm would play, uh, would play into it, but what do you see coming? What, what does this look like? So I think we're gonna see continued aggregation of, of practices for a variety of reasons. I think we're gonna to continue to see um, small groups forming uh, as they merge practices. You know, the traditional uh, life cycle of a, of a practitioner was uh, uh, get out, start a practice or get out and associate with somebody for a couple of years and either buy that person out or start a practice or buy a different practice. You know, those options 
are not as attractive now as they once were for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one, the uh, you know dentists uh, didn't used to come out of school with the amount of debt that they have now, and so that has created a a really a weight uh, on young dentists that is uh, that is unprecedented, and I think it's going to get that's going to get worse. And so the uh, ability to take on additional risk when you're uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt is is very difficult. Another change is the capital requirements for banks. Uh, when I got out of school, I went to the bank um, and uh, they literally said, well, how much do you want? You know, you want to buy a house? How much do you want? You know, I said, I don't have any money. That, I have no down payment. I've got, I've got, I got less than nothing. <laughs> and they said, all right, that's all right. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, you know, you're good for it. Um, and you know, uh, no bank in the world would take that approach today because it certainly would probably violate some banking regulations. So uh, that is a that, that's a different world. And then practitioners are different than they once were. I speak in about four dental schools uh, now, and and when I poll the dental students, I'll say, how many of you intend to own your own practice someday? And when I got out of school, if somebody had been asked that to my class, uh, you know, almost everybody would have. You know, there had been a few that wanted a military career, a few that wanted to teach and do research, but most everybody wanted to, you know, own their own practice. Today, when I ask that question, maybe a quarter of the room raises their hand. I think that the that uh, that entrepreneurial part of, of dentistry is is evolved. And I think less people are entrepreneurial wanting to own their own business. So I think that lends itself to uh, companies that hire employee dentists. And, and when you do that, you can aggregate, you know, you know, many locations as, as many as you desire. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, some of the, um, well, let me, I'll go on to my next, I wanted to maybe explore this, this topic a little more, but um We've got too much to cover, not enough time to do it. So we'll press on. Um, so you mentioned growing your practice and assimilating other offices into your practice and growing it from, you know, from uh, basically a single, a single off, you know, a single office to merging, you know, some family members practices into yours and buying those. Um, what does it take? I mean, some of our listeners, uh, you know, they might be at a million bucks in production and they're looking to go to two. Um, it's a logical step. We're going to double, you know, um, what is it? What's a, what's a big skill that isn't required to go from 500 to a million, but is required if you think you're going to go from a million to 2 million, what's a big skill that doctors need to really embrace and, and develop no matter how painful it might be. Yeah. So the, the transition from a million dollar practice to a $2 million practice um, is uh, is one that happens really completely on the skills of a doctor. And this really is a, a lot about what my uh, two uh, books are, are about, I, the, the two that are Amazon number one bestsellers. So that would be the recent book, the 11 Habits book, and also the previous book, which is the ultimate guide to doubling and tripling your practice production. So to go from, from 1 million to 2 million, 1 million is not a... a not any longer, you know, that big, uh, that was considered a big practice at one time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. to do a million, that's $86,000 of collections a month. Hygiene's doing uh, a quarter of that. So that means a doctor producing 
or collecting, you know, 60,000 a month. That, that's pr fairly, fairly easy to do. Um, but to go from there to doubling that is, is much more difficult. So some of the key skills that need to be had is uh, number one, you have to have that vision extremely clear in your mind and in your team's mind, and you need to set goals. And I know that everyone, when they talk about success, they talk about setting goals and they, um, and everybody knows that they should do it and everybody knows how to do it probably. But when I go into practices on a consulting basis and I say, let me see your goals. Um, what I generally hear is, um, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, there are very few practices that have written goals that are current um, and that they're taking action on. And so that would be, you know, really the number one thing that I would say people need to do. Second thing to do is dentists have to become better delegators. So they have to delegate a lot of the business side of, of the practice to someone else. And so building that key team member, that team leader or that office manager, whatever term you want to use, um, you know, finding a right person for that and helping to develop that person so that the dentist can focus more on their clinical treatment than they do the rest of the office. And so to get to 2 million, to get, for a single doctor practice to get to 2 million, uh, the dentist really has to be focused on the clinical side and, and improving their productivity per hour in order to hit that. Does that make sense, Jerry? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, okay, two to four, um, different set of skills, same set of skills, different people. What do you see? So there are uh, very, 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 very few $4 million one dentist practices in the United States, general. No, and, and, no, you're right. There are that's very a, few. Rarity. Yeah. There are some, yeah. uh, but there, that's, that is a rarity. And uh, a funny story, I, I learned of a, of a single dentist who was producing in the 400s, and this was probably 10 or 12 years ago, that was producing 400, the practice was producing 400 a month. And I said, I gotta see this because I, I, I could see how a single doctor in a practice was doing, uh, you know, 200, 250, 300, but this guy was in the fours. And so I went to see his practice and it was the most amazing thing that I'd ever seen. So how this guy was doing it was that he was working a ton of hours. So he was in the practice um, for, uh, you know, he was putting in 75, 80 hours a week. And he had built onto his practice a, a kitchen and family room. And his wife <laughs> and, and child would come down at dinner time. She'd cook dinner at the office. They'd have dinner together. Uh, and then he'd go back to work and they'd go back home. Um, and that wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't a lifestyle that I really wanted to, to live. Um, but it, it, that, that was one way to get there. So when it comes to going from two to four, you're really talking about additional providers and or additional locations. And so now the skill set changes. Now you, you have to have that business person be, you know, your office manager has to be really on top of things because now you have to not only produce dentistry, but you have to mentor another doctor and mentor, a, a, you know, a, a clinic, another clinical team. Um, and so that's a, a, a different set of skills. You also have to drive additional new patients. And Jerry, when you and I have seen associate ships fail, uh, very, very frequently it is there is just not enough patient flow to feed two mouths. And so mm -hmm. you, you, that's an additional skill that you have either have to gain or buy, um, you know, but 
uh, that's definitely, definitely necessary. And from two to four, you still have to be focusing on your own clinical production. You still got to be cranking it uh, in order to make this work. Uh, so those are, are, are kind of the, the key skills. And this is talking about organic growth. Uh, the other way is to do bolt-on acquisitions, which is another animal altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's let's talk about those. I mean, you've been through a number of them. You've been with companies who have uh, absorbed groups of practices, not just onesie twosie, but maybe you know five, six, seven, ten locations. Um, what does that look like? Uh, what are some of the skills that you pulled away from running a six million dollar practice that you found extremely useful uh, in that world? Because that's a whole nother whole nother deal. It, it is a whole nother deal. And it's a whole different skill set than most dentists have. So the ability to uh, look at various practice opportunities, you know, do we start a brand new one? Do we acquire one? Do we fold one in? Mm-hmm. Those are all, you know, options and, and all good options in depending on the particular practitioner situation. So the ability to you know, again, have a vision of what this looks like. What's the, what's the end game here in doing this? Are we growing just to grow or are we growing with some, uh, with some purpose and, and with some ideal in mind? So starting with that, and the next, next set of skills is, you know, how do you look at acquisitions and how do you, how do you evaluate them? What are the things that you're looking for? How does that compare with what's available? Um, next thing is how you value it. You know, you're, you're gonna, there's going to be some money change hands here. How much money should change hands and what should that look like? And what do the documents look like? And what does the legality look like? Next skill is how do you onboard this? You know, now that you have another one, how do you bring this person into your culture so that your culture is the surviving one? So onboarding a practice is, is a, another set of skills. And then managing a practice, particularly if you're not physically there, is another set of skills that, that are difficult. And we're seeing it right now fairly frequently is that it's, it's much easier to buy an additional practice than it is to run it profitably. And so you see practices that do number two, practice location number two, and if that goes okay, they think, well, this is easy. I'm going to do number three. And then they lose a doctor in number two, and number three isn't going as well as they thought it would. And now all of a sudden they are on a bad treadmill because they got to, they have to use all of their time to produce revenue, uh, and they don't have the time or the mental energy to be able to, you know, build these other practices as well. Yeah, um, I, I've seen that so many times. I can't even count. Um, and we'll we'll have a doctor, you know, who who feels like they have a good handle on their on their solo practice. You know, maybe they're doing. To, you know, 150 to 200 grand a month. And um, they decide it's time to open a second location. And they think it's going to be like, well, I'll just do it like this. Well, the set of skills changes uh, with another location, you know, the dynamics change. And um, nine times out of 10, that doctor ends up in trouble. And I've seen it here recently with a couple. And it just, it breaks my heart because, you know, against, you know, you go, you know, you, you tell them, hey, here are the challenges you're going to have. Are you sure you want to do this? it's a one-time opportunity. I'm like, all right, you know, um, good luck with that. Um, but I've, I've, I mean, I've done it. I know exactly what happens. And I mean, the pain. And I had all the mental capacity, well, <laughs> whatever mental capacity I have, 
I had, I, I didn't have to think about the clinical side and it was a challenge for me. Yeah. And you're right. The minute you get one going, um, which I think for me, the biggest challenge in owning more than one location and even owning one location has been doctors has been sure. finding someone who aligns with your vision, your mission, your purpose, who has the same, um, set of moral values, which to me is the biggest single qualifiers where are your morals and ethics at. And do we share the same values? You know, do you feel the same way I feel about X when it happens or Y when it happens, how would you handle it? Those to me are some of the biggest challenges, you know, when you, when you begin to introduce additional doctors and the dynamic that each one brings, because each one has a different, you know, they have, a, they do dentistry differently. Yep. They have different opinions and it's like, you know, that's, that's a challenge. It, is, did you discover, or, I mean, you, you probably knew that all along going into some of these larger acquisitions. Has that been a big challenge for you is, is oh, doctors for sure. and yeah, for sure. aligning the personalities and yep. yeah. So, you how, know, how, the, the thing that I see most common in, uh, in this, the, the dynamic that we're talking about right now is that super hard charging, you know, very, very focused, very productive dentist. And when they look at the next practice, they think that they're going to find someone just like them to plug in there. But generally, that's right. not the case. You know, so these right. people that are in the top 5%, uh, they think they're going to find another top 5% to percenter to plug in there. And, and there's only 5% of those people. You know, they're, they're hard to find. And often, right. they're already doing their own thing, right? So, the, so those top 5 percenters in the applicant pool uh, probably less than, you know, there's top 5% in the profession, but in the applicant pool, there's not that many. So you have to learn to be able to do it with, um, with the regular guy. And that's the hard part for the hard charger is they have expectations for, uh, for the associate that are probably unrealistic for the capabilities of that person. Uh, one thing you, what you said that I wanted to go back to and, and uh, that you were, you were talking about the, um, the values. And, and when I, think of somebody going from one to two, one thing that has to be absolutely nailed is the culture of the office. It has to be defined. It has to be in a way that can be communicated easily. And, and so that you have all these cultural conversations and questions and uh, ahead of time, you know, before someone's hired, before you've acquired somebody, because if, if it, that culture will attract the ones that match. Once you have it defined and communicated well, that culture can, you know, attract the ones that are going to work well, and it's going to repel the ones that won't work well. One of the services that I provide personally is I do a, an, an event called a vision day, where I'll sit down with the practice owners and leaders, and I will draw out all the elements of their culture. Um, it's, it, it's not my telling them what their culture should be. It's to them telling me what the culture is and then putting in the foundational things that we need for that. So what is our mission and how do we communicate that? What are our values and what behavioral expectations do we have from that? And how do we use this in managing our team? And how do we use this in attracting and repel, repelling additional team members? So that vision day is super powerful because when people leave, they now have their, all the cultural elements of their practice in place. Uh, the leadership team can all speak the same language and they can use that then to go out and build expectations for their current team and their, for future teams or for future uh, locations as well. Mm -hmm. So how does that, okay, so this is what you just described to me is, is really a prerequisite before you should ever own a business. Totally agree. <laughs> I yeah, mean, totally agree. You know, I mean, I, 
look, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I had the worst time with this for about the first probably 15 years yeah. of being in business. I mean, it wasn't, it hasn't been that long ago where I realized, huh, so this is what I'm missing. You know, you hear this, you hear this chatter in the background and, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I just wanted to work. I just wanted to, I just wanted to send out another sales letter. I just wanted to have another event. I was so not focused and unaware of the impact that culture has um, and, and, and making sure you have a group of people on the same page and that they believe in what you're trying to accomplish and that they want to be part of something greater than just the individual. I, I as a matter of fact, I just had a conversation yesterday on Labor Day, um, kind of dating when we're, when, when I, when we're doing this, but, um, I had a conversation yesterday for 30 minutes with, um, a mentor and part, a business partner of mine. He's a mentor. He's more of a mentor than he's ever been a partner. He's just amazing. But his experience has been, um, I mean, his background is uh, he was a attack officer at the Oregon Military Academy. And when you go through the military academies, you are taught um, the culture. <laughs> you are taught what the vision, the mission. I mean, that is drilled into you by the drill sergeants, by the team. I mean, the, the captains beat the daylights out of you over that stuff. So um, we had a conversation that, that to me, I had never, the way he put things to me yesterday, and I'm, and I'm, and I literally stopped barbecuing because I had some chicken on the grill and I stood in the spot and I listened for 30 minutes. And some of the things that he shared with me, I had never heard put in the way he had put them. And, and it was so valuable to me to, to hear that. And I, and I think one of the reasons why dentists struggle and they get stuck at, at that million dollar year mark or, or below is they've never sat down and spent what you just described. They've never sat down and said, what the hell do I stand for? What do we, what do we want to accomplish as a team? And I think, you know, for docs that, that don't invest that time, energy and effort in doing that, they're going to stay stuck because that's, that's what happened to me. That's why I got stuck. I, I couldn't, you know, a one man band can only go so far and a team is not made up of one. Uh, and I think that's a tough concept for dentists to grasp, grasp. So when you go through this, what kind of, um, what kind of time is invested in, in an exercise like that? So it's, it is a full day of um, well, the leadership team. So uh -huh. it, it, it can be done that quickly. Um, we often will tie it with a, with a second day that goes through all of, the, uh, all of the clinical data. So we'll do our statistical analysis on their, on their, on their clinical data, their practice management data, as well as their financial data, their financial statements. And so we'll create a, a plan based on the numbers as we identify where the low hanging area of fruit is mm -hmm. and create a plan to capture that. So th these two days are often done back to back. Um, so we get the cultural elements in place the first day uh, and then we get a strategic plan in place based on that practices numbers. So it's usually a two day process um, and it's extremely effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I would, um, I'd recommend to any of our listeners that haven't really sat down and spent time with that. I mean, I think that's, that is some of the most valuable time you can spend working on your business. And it's frankly, in the long run, it's more powerful than cranking out a few crowns, uh, during that time. Oh, that there's, that yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, if, if you want people to live the values that you think your practice stands for and you don't even, you don't have them identified and you haven't identified the behaviors that demonstrate those values. I mean, where your team is, they're, they're driving blind, you yeah. know? So it really helps the team uh, be much more aligned 
uh, and perform at a higher level. Also, when we look at millennials, I, I, I hear so much uh, maligning of millennials and what a difficult uh, age group they are in, in the workplace. Um, but let me tell you, one of the things that is very unique and very special about the, that age group is that they are very values driven and they are very purpose driven. And when you draw it out for people and you connect all the dots for them, uh, it makes all the difference in the world on the retention of employees, particularly the millennials, because they are very vision, values, and purpose driven. Mm -hmm. I think that's some excellent advice. Um, and you're right. There's a lot of there is a lot of maligning of of them. Um, I've probably been guilty of that more than once. Yeah. And I think it's an effort to understand what drives them. And you just outlined it perfectly. And you know, if you've got a team of these young people in your practice, um, most likely young women, then I mean, you have to. I think dialing that in is is key. Um, let's let's shift gears uh, because we are getting close on time, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, let's talk about your book, The 11 Habits of Highly Successful Dentists. Uh, I mean, we've been all over the map. So if you want to go a different direction on, on some of those 11 habits, I'm, I'm all for it. But maybe you, you can lead me where you think, where you lead me to where you think your listeners are going to enjoy it. So, so have at it. Let's, let's take your, your, um, let's take two or three of, of the highly effective habits and, um, and let's look at those or the high, yeah, the, the, the effective habits. Let's talk about three or four of those. So, um, so let's start with maybe the, the first one you cover in the book. The first one is the create vision and goals, which, which we really have talked about already. Uh, All right, yes, yeah, so you got that, that habit name. That is number one, and every, everything springs from that, to have a, have a vision, to have your corporate culture in place, and to have goals and a process for doing that that is repeatable so that you keep, it, keep them current so frequently see practices pull out goals from three or four years ago that aren't really relevant anymore. So mm -hmm. that has to be relevant. Another, um, another thing that is extremely common in the practices that are very highly productive is they know their data really well. They know their statistics. Mm -hmm. And I, I can ask a dentist, you know, kind of just a handful of numbers. And if they don't know that handful of numbers, I know that they are not, you know, that, that they are going to struggle from a business perspective because that, I don't know how they could possibly make decisions about what to do next when they don't have the data on which to make those decisions. So they're just going through the motions, you know, just one step after another, plodding along um, because um, and, and being subject to that uh, shiny object syndrome that we talked about earlier that the next thing that comes along gets their attention and they move in that direction and that direction, which is extremely confusing for teams and extremely frustrating for teams. And then teams have a hard time getting on board. I remember before I understood this, I'd come back from a meeting and I'd be all excited about this or that, you know, and, and I couldn't get my team behind it. They, they, I think, you know, they were saying to each other, well, wait a couple of weeks and this, this phase will pass. His energy will, will decrease. Um, you know, we don't really have to do anything with this because it, it'll pass. But mm -hmm. um, when you have all these things in place, you know your numbers, you can make a, a, a both a logical and an emotional um, uh, case for making a change or moving in a certain direction makes all the difference in the world. And if you don't know your numbers, there's no way that you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. 
we're fortunate now that having the numbers is so very, very easy. You know, uh, our practice management softwares, most of the most of them do a uh, uh, a mediocre job of this. Um, they give you some, you know, some baseline data, but there are all kinds of add-ons now that can give you much better uh, clinical data and and so that you can really dial in on the numbers that matter. Yeah. Um, out of, out of um, uh, well, let's go on to the third one. I, I, I think I want to do some comparison after that. So what's a third habit? A, a third habit is, uh, I'm going to combine two here, and, and that is understanding demand and capacity. Uh, so one of the things that clients that come to our, us, one of the, the top things that they often want to accomplish is more new patients. Yet when we do analysis of their practice, we find that they don't have enough capacity to take care of the patients that they have. Mm -hmm. So what this looks like is the office that's underproductive, but you can't get a patient in, right? So, uh, so you can't get a new patient in for three or four days. Well, that's, that's not good enough anymore. Uh, you know, there was a day where you, know, you were considered successful if your practice was booked out two weeks. But that's, that's not the consumer of today. They want in now. And so if you can't do now, you're full. And so you need to figure out how to add more capacity so that you're not full. But so many people try to fix a capacity issue by creating more demand, and it doesn't work. All it does is drive up practice expense. It reduces profitability, increases the frustration of the team, and basically builds the practices of your competitors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's that is a uh, that's an insightful way to look at this. And again, I've I've had these same kind of situations that you just described, where you know a doctor will come to us and say, "Hey, I'm, I really need new patients," and then we start digging and looking at some of the statistics, and you know we listen. Maybe we have them record a new patient exam and a recare exam, so we can kind of listen to how that's going. Right. And and then when you look at their statistics, and you actually have them track for just a period of seven days, you know. How many new patients, how many accepted, how many started treatment? And, you know, you're at 45%, 55%. It's like, you know what? If we throw another new patient at you, I'm just going to run you into the ground. Yeah. You're going to go broke yep. because you're going to go broke seeing new patients because you can't sell anything. Yep. And, and you're right. You know, one of the questions we ask is, can you see new patients today? And if they come back with a no, it's like, okay, you have some systems issues. Let's address those first. Yep. Because, you know, when we make the phone ring, you got to say, how fast can you get here? Can you get here in five minutes? Can you get here in 10? I mean, you know, that's the old Howard friend. You know, somebody calls with an emergency. It's like, we're sending a cab, stand by, you know? I mean, if it's that much to you, send them, send them a damn Uber. I mean, come on, people. Um, so, uh, which brings me to a question I have, because I think it has directly to do with capacity. What kind of a, if a dentist were to measure, this is my uh, new, new patient case presentation ratio. In other words, if I see 10 new patients this week, how many start treatment this week? How many start treatment next week? How many never start treatment? You know, in other words, yeah. if they don't start treatment in a month, yeah, you might pick them up maybe. But to me, starting treatment means they have a next appointment, right? For sure. So what, what kind of a ratio should, you know, a doctor who has been in the profession for more than a couple of years, what, what, what should his closing ratio be? Well, I can, I can tell you what we typically see um, and, what, and, and the range is dramatic. 
So when I talk about case acceptance, I'm talking about a patient who accepts something, not necessarily everything, but accepts something. Mm -hmm. So the range we see on this is somewhere between 20% and 70. Oh gosh. Wow. That's not even a range. That's like, that's nuts. It is nuts. Seriously. And anytime you see a, a range, uh, you, you know, I, I love ranges because <laughs> that ranges means there's opportunity, you know, because there's Absolutely. something that the ones at the high end of the range are doing that is different than the ones at the low end of the range. And so being able to learn what those things are will automatically allow you to increase your, your range if you're willing to do those different things. And so this, this is, you know, certainly one of the, the factors that goes into, uh, into success, you know, and when I think of, of you, Jerry, and, and you, you did just such a great job of helping practices drive more new patients, but really you're, you're helping them to drive more phone calls generally, mm -hmm. right? So now, we, now we, we've got so many breaks on this. So how many of those phone calls are they answering? You know, how many of the answered phone calls are they converting into appointments? Oh, uh, it's well, you know what I mean? It's scary, man. I'm telling you, we're, we're gathering data right now that we've never had before. I mean, we've got some really advanced data going on. And I got to tell you, I mean, my gut, when I read these reports, my gut just tightens up. And, and I say to myself, thank goodness I don't own a practice anymore. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I mean, because I would have this data on my practice now. Now, I, I, I haven't. I, I say practice, I mean office, because I didn't own a practice, that's charts, it wasn't me. I was the office owner. But if I go back to May, and if I had data from just January to May that I, that I now have the ability to get just a few months later that I didn't have before, um, I can't imagine how restless of night's sleep I would have. I mean, it's, it's, it is just, when you've got the data, you mentioned data is one of the, uh, is one of the habits. When you know your closing ratio, you can improve it. When you know uh, how many phone calls are going to voicemail, you can improve it. When you, I mean, if you don't know, you can't improve Jack, right? Right. Um, and so there's so many little points along the way, but you're right. We can get the phone to ring, but if, if, you know, that's not good enough. I mean, whatever happens after that is really anybody's whim, unless there's training and monitoring and scoring and teaching. And yep. I mean, you know, willing, somebody willing to get on the phone who wants to improve. I mean, Broomhilda yep. may not want to improve her phone answering skills. And if so, she doesn't, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> so. we, we had a recent experience where we, we uh, in one of the practices that we manage, we, uh, their, their new patient numbers had dropped unexplainably. Uh, and so we had a seasoned uh, office manager spend some time there. And so they were getting an average of like 25 new patients a month, down from 45 to 50, right? So it dropped significantly. So this, you know, trained and, and proven successful office manager goes in there and the first two days she's there, they have 10 new patients. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. they were doing something on the phone to chase people away. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, eliminating those things is, is very difficult in a practice. And, you know, we know from the stats that if you, if you mention insurance on a phone call, uh, that the chances of that patient showing up are, are cons uh, the chances of them making an appointment and showing up to that appointment drop by about half. Yet, how many offices do that? Almost all. And to get them to break that habit, I, I understand it creates complexity at the visit when you don't have the insurance information ahead of time, but you're going to have a lot less visits if you do.
Right. You're, so you're adding a barrier. Is that kind of what, what you see it is you're adding a barrier of exactly to getting them to just getting there. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I, I know practices that have this long list of questions that they ask somebody at that new patient phone call in order to make the next one easier and more efficient. Uh, I get that, but, th but it only works if there's going to be a next one. And if you drop your, 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 uh, appointing and show up rate by half, well, you, you know, <laughs> efficiency doesn't really matter because you're going to be sitting around with, with nothing to do. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, that's been, uh, we've, we've rocketed through this. And like I said, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you gave some absolutely killer information. I've got some notes myself. Uh, I'm excited to, uh, to talk to my group about. Um, how do people get your book? You, you mentioned Amazon bestseller. So obviously yep. you're doing something right. Um, so amazon.com to get your books and, and the, and the two books again are? So the 11 Habits of Highly Successful Dentists, you can get that on Amazon. Uh, the previous number one bestseller, which was uh, Wendy Briggs and I wrote together, is called The Ultimate Guide to Doubling and Tripling Your Practice Production. And if you go to our website, theteamtraininginstitute.com, if you go there, we'll actually send you that book for free. If you pay the postage, we'll send you the book for free. So I would recommend anybody go there. And you can also go on the site and learn about some of the other things that we do. Uh, and call our office if you're interested in the Vision Day. And I uh, appreciate so much uh, your thoughtful interview, Jerry. You, you, you always do such a great job. So thank you very, very much for including me. Well, it's an honor to have you on here, and um, it's nice to catch up with you again, and I uh, appreciate your time, and uh, listeners, reach out to, to Dr. John and the team, and Wendy at the Team Training Institute. Um, look, just get the books. Start there. Get the books. Make a move. Yep. Um, this is great stuff, and um, I appreciate your time, John, and for the rest of you, uh, our listeners, thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you here soon. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of The Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash jerryjones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.